From Muse by Clio and the Clio Awards, this is Tagline, the show about great ads and the people who make them. This week on Tagline. We have found this outrageous fact, which is that girls' confidence drops two times as much as boys' confidence as they enter puberty. It was written in marker, and it just had a hashtag, like a girl. And I just walked right to it. We all recognized that there was something really striking about the irony of that phrase. And when Judy said, since when did doing things like the girl become an insult? I mean, it's kind of stopped in my tracks. That was a transformational move, and I think that really moved us and compelled us to use our voice more in advertising to promote equality. It changed what those words meant. We saw what those words meant in the piece, and then people changed what it meant in the world. In the summer of 2014, the Procter & Gamble brand Always and the agency Leo Burnett launched one of the great female empowerment anthems ever made by an advertiser. Like a girl, the social experiment turned viral film achieved something remarkable, taking a painfully negative cultural stereotype and turning it completely on its head into a declaration of pride and a rallying cry for equality. On this episode of Tagline, we'll speak to many of Like a Girl's creators, Judy John and AJ Hassan on the agency side, the filmmaker Lauren Greenfield, and the client execs Edgar Sandoval, Michelle Batten, and Mark Pritchard whose search for an idea that could actually change the lives of girls everywhere set the whole thing in motion. I'm Tim Nudd, editor-in-chief of Muse by Clio, and coming up, it's the story of Like a Girl, the three-minute film that broke the internet, lit up the Super Bowl, and crystallized the power of advertising on its best days to be a force for good in the world. Season one of Tagline is brought to you by GSTV. For those of you who may not be familiar, there's a good chance you watch GSTV every time you fuel up. GSTV is a national video network that's had incredible growth, now reaching 92 million viewers a month with a unique one-to-one moment of attention. Think about it. What campaign would you run with that moment? On Tagline, we're discussing some of the most memorable spots in history. Imagine how those campaigns, or your next one, could be creatively transformed in context on GSTV. To fuel your next creative campaign, visit gstv.com slash tagline. On June 26, 2014, the Procter & Gamble feminine hygiene brand Always posted a three-minute video on YouTube with the title Hashtag Like a Girl that within days would get millions of views around the world and generate the kind of cultural conversation brands usually only dream about. The video showed the filmmaker Lauren Greenfield in a studio, asking people of all ages, kids, teens, adults, to act out that phrase, like a girl, as the cameras rolled. In the opening section, we see the teens and the adults act out the insulting stereotype of the phrase, running and throwing awkwardly, punching weakly and reluctantly, seemingly without any second thoughts whatsoever. Hi, Erin. Hi. Okay, so I'm gonna just give you some actions to do. I just do the first thing that comes to mind. Show me what it looks like to run like a girl. My hair. Show me what it looks like to fight like a girl. (laughs) Now throw like a girl. 
then, around the 42nd mark, Greenfield gives the same prompts to younger girls. And the contrast couldn't be more stark. My name is Dakota, and I'm 10 years old. Show me what it looks like to run like a girl. Throw like a girl. Fight like a girl. What does it mean to you when I say run like a girl? It means run fast as you can. The rest of the video, which we'll get to later, asks the teens and adults to recognize and come to terms with the painful stereotype they just reinforced. It's a remarkable piece of film, and it all began almost exactly a year earlier, in the summer of 2013, when P&G embarked on a journey inspired by rival Unilever, whose success with its own social experiment dominated the advertising award shows that year. We had begun to think about the, the possibilities of using our voice in advertising, and we actually were in Cannes, the Cannes Lions Festival of Creativity, and watching another brand sweep the awards because of some good work that they had done on gender equality. Mark Pritchard is P&G's chief brand officer. In June 2013, he was in the audience at Cannes, watching Dove's Real Beauty Sketches, a long-form video by Ogilvy about women's self-esteem, pick up 19 lions. I can remember it very, very well because I sat next to Edgar Sandoval, who was the always brand leader for the world. And he said, we're going to be back here and we're going to be on that stage next time changing the world. Edgar Sandoval, leader of the always brand globally, was so inspired by the Dove work, he wrote a brief for his agency, Leo Burnett, on the plane ride home from France. We are famous for writing a PNG very long creative briefs. I wrote a two-sentence creative brief to the global creative director. I was inspired, was excited, and I said, let's create the new social by design advertising campaign that changes the world one girl at a time and make always even a more popular brand. That was the brief, and the change in the world one girl at a time was central to it. Making the world better for girls meant finding their pain points. And few were as painful as one fact P&G had uncovered in research, that girls' confidence plummets during puberty. Regardless of where we were around the world, be it in the skyscrapers of Shanghai, China, or the slums of Mumbai, or Sao Paulo, New York, you name it, regardless of nationality, religion, socioeconomic status, one thing was common among all the young, awesome girls that we talked to, and that is that they had all amazing dreams. You talk about their dreams and their future. They had a lot they wanted to accomplish. But then also, as they hit puberty, they started to lose confidence in their dreams. And we just didn't think that was right. Always had been a socially progressive brand ever since its launch in 1983. It was the first feminine hygiene brand to advertise on television, and it also had invested heavily in puberty education for girls in school. But the brand had lost a bit of that audaciousness, according to Michelle Batten, a brand manager who had joined the Always team in 2011 and would become a driving force behind Like a Girl. So Like a Girl actually started way before Like a Girl started. We were trying to find a purpose-inspired, benefit-driven idea. When we launched, there had not been any innovations for 50 years on feminine hygiene product. Then many, many innovations later, we get ourselves in a position where we are still very much the number one brand worldwide, uh, very much appreciated, but there was more respect than there was love. And we were a little bit viewed as the brand that my mom uses. And that's not necessarily a position you want to be in. The same month that Mark Pritchard and Edgar Sandoval were in France, always took its first stab at a new approach. It was called Give a Girl a Break, 
and it was based on the insight that women and girls, despite a reputation for undermining each other, are actually hardwired to help each other. They had women filmmakers shoot videos about how supporting other women can make a difference. And while the work did get about 4 million views on Facebook, the engagement wasn't as broad as PNG hoped. So they went back to the drawing board. We had found this outrageous fact, and it still makes my hair stand on my arms when I think about that fact, which is that girls' confidence drops two times as much as boys' confidence as they enter puberty. And puberty starts at your first period. And so we thought, wow, this is not right. What is this about? Why do girls have such a confidence dip? Burnett had been working on Always since 2001 and had a pretty clear roadmap to change the world one girl at a time, as Sandoval put it, and to do so through the lens of this confidence drop at puberty. But it was a tough assignment to crack. After months without a breakthrough, P&G escalated the project by asking Burnett to assemble a kind of all-star team of creative talent from across many offices to take another crack at it. The client asked Judy John, then CEO and Chief Creative Officer of Leo Burnett Canada, to lead the team. Though, to be honest, Judy wasn't exactly thrilled about it, at least at first. I remember when I first got the call, I thought being tapped for fam high, as we call it, is not maybe the most amazing assignment that you can dream of at the time. Just because the type of work that was being done in that category wasn't groundbreaking or killer. And so I thought, have I said something to offend the CEO at some cocktail party? How did I get recruited onto this? Then Judy heard Edgar Sandoval's pitch. Our client said, I want to be iconic. I want always to be as iconic as Apple. But I thought, wow, this guy's crazy. He's crazy because this is a pad with wings and Apple makes these incredibly innovative products. But I also thought to myself, I love it. I love his ambition. And also I felt embarrassed that his ambition was bigger than mine because I usually like to walk into a room and think, let's change the world. Let's do something incredibly important or surprising. And he was actually the one that inspired and surprised me. The team had three months to pull something together in time for summer 2014. Execs from Burnett Canada, Chicago, and London gathered in a war room in Toronto to ideate. I just said, put up your ideas. Just don't filter them. Try and keep them simple on one page. And we just did that over a couple weeks' time. And I walked into the room, and there are all these images and taglines paragraphs, mantras, and it was just on one piece of paper, it was written in marker, and it just had a hashtag, like a girl. And I just walked right to it. And I looked around the room and I said, what is this? Tell me about this idea. AJ Hassan was a creative director at Leo Burnett Chicago. She immediately saw the power of the phrase, which was so negative, but had the potential to be so positive. We all recognized that there was something really striking about the irony of that phrase. Judy identified, said, this is really powerful. She said, I want you guys to really think about developing work around how could we tell the story of this playground insult in a way that really represents kind of the shocking nature of what we all just realized about this phrase. Was that a film? Was that a traditional narrative? How do we do that in a way that feels real and not contrived and true to different girls' experiences? The team spent several more weeks trying to find a way in. And then one day, AJ had a spark of inspiration. We were all sitting around a table and I was thinking to myself, in my mind, if I were to ask an adult to demonstrate what it means to throw like a girl, they would probably prance around and make fun of themselves. 
whether that was a boy, whether that was a full-grown woman, a man, just because in my mind, when I heard the phrase, that was the image that would come to my mind. I thought to myself, I would bet that if we asked really young girls what it was like to throw like a girl, that you'd get a totally different reaction. This would be the second key breakthrough. Having surfaced this loaded playground insult, AJ's insight could expose it for what it was. Learned behavior that was being internalized right at puberty. Literal evidence of the confidence tip that PNG had discovered. Plus it felt visually promising. Something they might be able to capture on film in a way that would draw people in. To test AJ's idea, several members of the creative team decided to try it with their own families. And whether it was an adult compared to how a young girl would do it, it played out. And the visual power of someone prancing around when you say the word like a girl compared to a young girl who's giving it her all, it struck us as potentially extremely powerful. I've learned that a big idea or the nugget for a big idea after a 20 plus year career, it's kind of obvious. You don't really have to overthink it. And when Judy said, since when did doing things like a girl become an insult? I mean, it's kind of stopped in my tracks. I'm like, wow, wow. The next step was to find a director who could bring the idea to life. Someone with a background in documentary who had chronicled women's issues and who knew how to draw the truth out of her subjects. Well, the first unusual introduction to the campaign was when I got the boards, there was a picture of me on the cover and it said direct like a girl. Lauren Greenfield was a documentarian with a compelling history of exploring gender stereotypes, sexism, and the female experience. Her 2002 monograph, Girl Culture, with more than 100 photos of girls across America navigating their often difficult lives, was a masterpiece of documentary photography. The Burnett team were eager to get Lauren involved, and she was interested, even though, as it turned out, she didn't have the same kind of baggage around the phrase like a girl that so many of the other women did. I had made my first film about eating disorders called Thin, and I had made a film about beauty culture. So I had lived for a while in the world of gender, but just those specific words like a girl hadn't been used for me as an insult. My parents came out of the 70s. My mom was active in the women's movement. And my dad, I think kind of, I was the first born and he kind of raised me like a boy. He and my brother were raised very similarly. So I hadn't been stung personally by those words. So I kind of went in with really an open mind to seeing what an experiment could do. Lauren had one stipulation. The experiment had to be real. It couldn't be an advertising version of real. My mom is a professor of psychology. I knew it wasn't scientific, but I tried to make it in a way as scientific as possible and telling them, we don't know what's going to come out of this. I'm on board to try, but sometimes in commercials, they say it's documentary or something like a social experiment, but really they have an idea about how they want it to come out. And I said, let's see, let's see what's going to happen. Let's make it real. So we probably had over 250 people where I asked them a bunch of questions like, show me what it looks like to crawl like a baby, to run like your grandpa or to, yeah, I think walk like your grandpa, run like a girl. Basically, I kind of hid the like a girl question in a whole bunch of other kind of behavioral stereotype questions. It didn't take long for Lauren to realize this was indeed a real phenomenon. Asked to act out like a girl, almost everyone did something insulting. Then Lauren tried it out on her own boys. At the time, Gabriel was about eight and Noah was 16. And 
it played out just like it plays out in the final spot where my eight-year-old just was silly. He didn't know what like a girl meant. My 16-year-old son of a feminist doing all this work on girls had spent enough time with athletes in the locker room or whatever that he made fun of like a girl. In fact, he made so much fun of it that if he hadn't been my son, I would have cast him. The younger girls that Lauren interviewed, though, had no idea like a girl was negative. One of my favorites and most surprising was the little girl in the red dress who's in the spot. When her mom asked her these questions, show me what it's like to run like a girl. The girl just took off the other way and didn't come back. In the end, Lauren picked more than a dozen people to bring in for a studio day where they would shoot the film. Hundreds of millions of people would later see what happened on set that day. The denigrating behavior, and then, at Lauren's prompting, the realization of what they're doing. The confusion about the grip this cultural bias has on them. There are so many compelling real moments, like when the one boy, asked to throw like a girl, drops the ball and whines. So do you think you just insulted your sister? No. I mean, yeah, insulted girls, but not my sister. First, he just said, when you run like a girl, it's terrible, and he made fun of it, and he had a really extreme response. And then he revealed that he was a twin. So he's the same as his sister. So then I said, what about your sister? And he was like, well, not my sister. So that was incredible. There was another moment like that where there was a woman who was an older woman, kind of middle-aged, who had really conventional ideas about girls and not being good at sports. And she was so disparaging in what she was saying. And then I started asking her about her kids and her daughter. And she said her daughter's an athlete. And then it turned out her daughter was a baseball player, a college baseball player. That was the casting process that was both intuitive and scientific, where I was looking for those cues for the things that might come out. There was another, the woman at the end who says, why can't run like a girl means win the race? She was so sexist in what she said. She was one of the people that I could not draw out the self-consciousness about like a girl. And then I was like, she was so set in her ways. I was just like, are there any exceptions to what you're saying? And she said, well, if you're a professional athlete, that's an exception. And then I just had a feeling and I just said, are you a professional athlete? She said, yeah, I'm a marathon runner. This woman went through an interview for another 30 minutes where she was processing with Lauren the fact that here she was, this accomplished marathon runner, being asked to run like a girl. And she was mocking herself, even though she was an accomplished runner. And so it took her almost 40 minutes to get to the point where she said, yeah, why can't like a girl me win the race? But it was very emotional. The woman was crying at the end of the thing because she didn't realize herself. And then I think that's why the spot worked was because Both me and the subjects were having realizations, real realizations, sometimes profound realizations at the moment of the interview. It wasn't like they said it a day before and I said, can you redo that? It was like we were there and they were having that realization. And I think the viewer experiences the same thing when they watch it. The younger girls, of course, were cast for a different reason, for their joyful, uncomplicated take on Like a Girl. We had a really young girl in the pink dress who, she was probably the youngest one. And she was just such a little spitfire and had so much energy. 
And it was so evocative on film that we knew we had to cast her because she was so young. And when you would say, run like a girl to her, there was no pause. There was no processing of anything negative on that. There was Dakota, who's kind of, I would say, in some ways, our hero. She was the girl who wore the tank top. And she was kind of right at that cusp before they changed. And she was also someone who was articulate on film, but was very strong in her reactions when she was asked to run like a girl. And so a lot of those types of physical reactions and just their humanity influenced the choices, but also in terms of the storytelling, because we were trying to show what strength these young girls were showing. There's one girl in the film, though, who plays a singular role. AJ and the team knew going in that most of the older kids would make fun of like a girl, but they were hoping at least one would stop and say, you know, actually, doing things like a girl is a good thing. And they were fortunate to find her. Her name was Emily. So Emily is the girl at the end of the film who gives the long speech about what it means to be a girl, to do things like a girl, and how the young girls should keep doing it. And it's kind of amazing because in the pre-casting, when Lauren was doing the work with her where she said, you know, run like a sumo wrestler or throw like a professional baseball player. And then she said, you know, throw like a girl. In the pre-casting, Emily stopped in her tracks. and Her reaction was like she caught it, even though we were bearing it. And she gave a lecture that was much like what we saw on screen to the point that when she left casting that day, we started saying, oh my gosh, she's what we need. But I don't know if we'll get that same reaction from her again, because it was so powerful. We took a chance and we brought her back. When Lauren did it a second time and she got to that point, Emily had the same reaction. And in some ways, almost delivered it even stronger than the first time. None of it was canned. None of it was scripted. It was purely from her. And what advice do you have to young girls who are told they run like a girl, kick like a girl, hit like a girl, swing like a girl? Keep doing it because it's working. If somebody else says that running like a girl or kicking like a girl or shooting like a girl is something that you shouldn't be doing, that's their problem. Because if you're still scoring and you're still getting to the ball and time and you're still being first, you're doing it right. doesn't matter what they say. I mean, yes, I kick like a girl and I swim like a girl and I walk like a girl and I wake up in the morning like a girl because I am a girl. And that's not something that I should be ashamed of. So I'm going to do it anyway. That's what they should do. We probably couldn't have written it better, <laughs> to be honest, but it was so from her soul. And it was one of those magical things I would say about this project that we talked a lot about with this project that there was a perfect storm of many things that came together to make it powerful. And Emily was one of those things. In the last part of the film, after Emily's section, Lauren gives the teens and the adults a chance to redeem themselves, to act out like a girl in a more respectful, positive way. If I asked you to, to run like a girl now, would you do it differently? I would run like myself. Would you like a chance to redo it? Why can't run like a girl also mean win the race? I would say in this spot, I went from kind of observational-based documentarian to activist because we did say, would you do it differently now? And gave them a chance to, in a way, be a change maker for themselves. But what happened was they became a change maker in the world. And it was a happy ending in a way that I don't usually like, but could not deny how empowering that happy ending was. And what happened when people watched it 
is they took it on for themselves. And there was just like a huge outpouring of tweets like, I shred my mountain bike like a girl. An Olympian saying, I swim like a girl and have a gold medal to prove it. A dad saying, when I watched like a girl, I cried like a boy. Like everybody was breaking the stereotypes. Hillary Clinton's campaign, when she ran, said, run like a girl and had a picture of herself. And at the women's marches all over the country, years later, people were sending me run like a girl placards that little girls were holding up. It was such a powerful experience for all of us who worked on it because we saw that it really changed the language. It changed what those words meant. We saw what those words meant in the piece and then people changed what it meant in the world. Judy, AJ, Lauren, and the rest of the team had made an incredibly powerful film. But in the days leading up to launch, They had no idea just how wide it would go. After the break, we'll look at the incredible virality of Like a Girl in its first days online, its unlikely trip to the Super Bowl seven months later, and how the project would become a milestone, not just for P&G, but for the industry, as the march toward greater purpose began to gather speed. Once again, thanks to our sponsor of today's episode, GSTV. Readers of Muse by Clio may remember that Tombris and their client Moonpie aired a fun and memorable spot for the Super Bowl, featuring the wonderful and quirky Moonpie Child. That spot wasn't on television, but on GSTV, and created completely with the context in mind. While an unusual choice, it makes complete sense considering GSTV is a national video network just steps away from where Moonpies are sold. Could GSTV fuel your next creative campaign? To get started, visit gstv.com tagline. Early in the morning of June 26, 2014, PNG's media team set the Like a Girl video to publish on YouTube, and everyone sat back to see what would happen. They didn't have to wait long. For Judy John, AJ Hassan, and the rest of the Leo Burnett team, what happened next was unlike anything they'd experienced in their careers to that point. It might have had some paid, but not very much. It was very light. We just saw so much interest in it. I think we had like 7 million in three days and then 25 million. It just kept going. AJ was doing some impressive multitasking around this time, much to her wife's occasional frustration. My first son was born about a week before we finished the edit. And so I was about to go on maternity leave right before we released the film. And so we used to joke that we were giving birth to two babies. And when we launched it, I was just like everybody else. I was hitting refresh. I'm like, I was like, oh my God. Wait a minute, 50,000? Oh my God, 70,000? Oh my God, 100,000? Like it was, it was like every 10 minutes, like the numbers were, and I was so consumed. And my wife was like, what is going on? Can you help with the baby? Like what, we have a baby over here. I was like, you have no idea. You have to see what's happening here. Look at this. That 14 hour shoot that day, we knew we had something really special. Any one of us would tell you for as much as we thought that we had something special and something impactful, none of us, had any idea the reach that this would go. Throughout my career, I'd always do my focus groups at home, <laughs> PNG with my wife. I'd bring the laundry film, be it, uh, you know, Downey or Tide or whatever brand I was working on at the time, and I'd show it to her and she'd give me her feedback. So when I got the final edit, I came home with it and I actually asked my 13-year-old daughter, Natalia, to have a look at it. And she looked at it and she just looked at me and said, wow, this is cool. Dad, this is going to explode. That's what she said. This is going to explode in the internet. And so there you go. My, my focus groups of one have never failed me. And she was right again. In its first seven days online, Like a Girl got 25 million views on YouTube, 
more than half a million shares on Facebook, and more than 300 stories in top-tier media. It won seven statues at the 2014 Clio Awards, including a grand in PR. And the following summer, it would win the PR Grand Prix at Cannes as well, fulfilling Edgar Sandoval's original promise. It would also win the 2015 Emmy Award for Outstanding Commercial. And that was thanks to Michelle Batten, who managed to get a version of the film on television in a media placement that was very special indeed. And you can probably tell from my accent that I'm not American, so I know the the least from football, but I do know of the Super Bowl. I do know what magnificent platform it is, bigger than the Oscars in viewership, bigger than many, many of the events around the world. So I had pitched this to our North American team somewhere around October, and they started laughing. I, I remember it was a video call, and they were like, Michelle, are you for real? And I'm like, yeah, wouldn't that be great? That would be the best place to put this ad in a, a testosterone-dominant environment. We put a like a girl ad. Then two weeks and a half before the Super Bowl, leadership comes to me and says, Michelle, we have an opportunity to put this on the Super Bowl, but we need you to say yes, because you only have two and a half weeks to get it done. And we need a one minute maximum at, is that a yes or is that a no? And I'm like, can I think about that? <laughs> for AJ and the Burnett team, it was a thrilling prospect. But 60 seconds? They'd worked for weeks with the editor, Catherine Hempel of Cutters, just to get it down to three minutes. Cutting it by another two thirds, frankly, felt impossible. I don't think any of us were sure we could do it. I mean, I think we wanted to do it more than anything because the Super Bowl is the most masculine biggest stage in the world. And it was probably in some ways, maybe the most important moment of the campaign because of its breath. And so the opportunity was almost too great to not do it, but we really early on struggled with how do we take something that was three and a half minutes and something that was such a rich experience in that journey and those key moments to get that down to 60 seconds. And it was maybe the night before we were supposed to deliver a script and we were having a really hard time. And Judy and I had been texting and, and trying to sort this out in the team and I've been working on different versions and, you know, nothing really felt quite right. And I had gotten an email. I was riding home to my house and I just had one of those creative moments where I realized that I had to forget a little bit about the true arc that we had created and what was the real essence of what we were trying to say and what we really needed to show to get people to understand. And at the core of it, it was the comparison, right? It was the comparison between the young girls and the adults. And that was the biggest thing. So in my mind, all of a sudden, I had reshuffled the script as I was driving home in my brain. And I had an idea of like what pieces needed to be there in what key moments like the boy and the little girl saying it means you know to run fast, that we needed just a couple of those. We didn't need everything. We just needed a couple of those and we needed the comparison. I had the script in my head and I remember running home into my house. I had friends over and I hid in my bathroom because I was trying to just get it out of my head onto a piece of paper. And simultaneously, I had seen, I think, an email come through from Judy to the whole team saying, guys, I don't think we're going to be able to do this. I think we're going to have to call the client and say, we're not going to be able to do it. And I had within like a minute, drafted this script. I actually thought it was good. I thought it was right. And I was like, Judy, I have to talk to you. I have to talk to you. Don't call the client yet. Don't call the client. <laughs> and I got her on the phone and I showed it to her. And she said, oh my God. She's like, you got it. And so on February 1st, 2015, seven months and one week after the longer film premiered online, 
a 60-second version of Like a Girl aired during halftime of Super Bowl XLIX on NBC. The storytelling was certainly truncated, Emily doesn't appear at all, but viewers were transfixed anyway. It lit up social media and became easily the most talked about commercial of the night, an even bigger moment in some ways than the viral success of the previous spring. So the media team had done a phenomenal job to put us just in the break with Katy Perry. So perfect placement. And so the ad broke in the stadium because we had that life in the stadium. And then we started pushing all of our advertising dollars on Twitter at that same moment. And then I remember because the account also had Coca-Cola, who were very active on the Super Bowl. And one of the analytical folks came down one level and they said, hey, Always, team, did you know that you just broke Twitter? And I look, I'm like, broke Twitter? (laughs) What does that mean? (laughs) So we had no clue because we were so going at it and just trying to get everything out, trying to respond to all of these celebrities coming into it. And yeah, it was just a phenomenal, phenomenal experience. It was interesting because the Super Bowl is such a loud experience in general and every other commercials are loud. The game is loud. And it opens, there's a little bit of that music and you just hear Lauren saying, and I think in that moment, it caught people's attention, maybe because it was the opposite of everything else at the end of it. And my phone just started blowing up from all my friends around the country who had been watching it in bars or in pools. This one friend of mine, there was a bunch of kids in a pool and they had it projected on a screen near the pool, Super Bowl, and they were videoing when it happened. And they sent me the video of all the kids in the pool when the commercial came on, just stopped. And they looked and they were mesmerized. It was pretty surreal. Lauren Greenfield, who'd been investigating American culture's devastating effect on girls for two decades, was struck by the irony of the moment, that this most American of events was suddenly witness to a reckoning for those effects, but in a way that offered a way out, through this phrase everyone could suddenly embrace as a rallying cry to change things for the better. And it was really fun to have it be viral first and then go to the Super Bowl. It was kind of like the opposite of what you would normally do. And it was cut to 60 seconds for the Super Bowl. And it worked. I mean, I certainly prefer the three minute, but it was such a powerful experience for me and the audience to have it be at the Super Bowl. It was the first time that feminine protection had been at the Super Bowl. It was like there were Judy John, our creative was at the Super Bowl when that happened. And it was just like, it stopped the crowd and men and fathers and you know, people were in tears. I don't know, the authenticity of it and the message of it just kind of woke people up. The viral video and the Super Bowl spot both connected on a massive scale in a deeply emotional way. But to measure the true extent of the film's effectiveness, you have to look at other data. Sales, of course, but also social metrics, how it changed the way people use the phrase, how it gave the brand a platform to activate globally for years after. For Michelle Batten and P&G, it's not a stretch to say it changed the way they thought about measurement entirely. If you think about how we have historically done advertising, it was all about product performance. So either you go all out on that one, and then you'd look just at business metrics, which has been the business model all the way until 2014, or you go with an additional route that really tries to do more than it already had for 30 years plus, right? and really try to change society. So there, your societal metrics were as rigorously tracked as your business metrics, because otherwise it just doesn't make sense that you add that into the mix. Before seeing the ads, 
it was 19% of girls that saw like a girl as a good thing. And then after airing, it was 76% saw it as a good thing. And then two out of three men would no longer use that phrase. And we have those results after each and every iteration or chapter of Like a Girl, just to see, hey, are we able to move the needle? Is this doing something for society? The sales results were also strong. And the work completely changed the thinking around the category too, turning it into a cultural and creative showcase, a legacy you can see today in celebrated work like Viva La Volva and Womb Stories from Libres. Three years time, we were able to add two points. It sounds little, but it was a lot for us. That was big. Uh, and then from a, from a sales standpoint as well, we were able to really grow massively behind this because up until that point, Tim, when we had the conversations with our customers, it wasn't an exciting category to have a conversation. And that all of a sudden changed. So all of a sudden our customers like the buyers, they loved it. Some of our buyers were, were parents with girls going exactly through what we were describing. So they immediately got how powerful this was. And, and they, they, they saw the category in a completely different light. So they, they wanted to make it big. They wanted to have their take on it. How do we partner on it? How do we become really an anchor point for, for the campaign as well? Always has made four more global Like a Girl films since, along with a number of regional films. Lauren Greenfield directed the first sequel, Like a Girl Unstoppable, and the rest were directed by then-up-and-coming female talent, Lucy Walker, Nanette Bernstein, and Lucy Luscombe. Just as important, the campaign inspired Always to update its education program, shifting the focus, much as the campaign had done, from the practical to the emotional. Up until that moment, our school program was really focused on biology. And we came up with the confidence curriculum, which was based off the growth mindset of Carol Dweck. And so that is still running. That is something that continues to run. And actually, if you were to ask me, what are you the most proud of? I really feel it's that piece of curriculum and education that is going on because we had so many teachers spontaneously writing to us saying thank you for giving us the ability to address this topic and address it in a way that is engaging. That to me really is true to what we wanted to do, which is change the world one girl at a time. Mark Pritchard, PNG's chief brand officer, says Like a Girl changed PNG fundamentally at both the corporate and the brand level. After Like a Girl, 76% of people felt that Like a Girl was a positive phrase across all genders, races, and ethnicities. So that was a transformational move. And I think that really moved us and compelled us to use our voice more in advertising to promote equality across gender and then over time, race and ethnicity, LGBTQ, people with disabilities and everything else. We set an aspiration from there that we were going to get our entire ecosystem in our company, as well as with our agencies and behind the camera to get to gender equality. So we set an aspiration of 50%. We wanted 50% representation at every level in our company, uh, as well as with our agencies and production crews. And I'm happy to say that now we're at 48% in our company. We're more than 50% within our agencies. And we are now at about 35% directors of women behind the cameras. The other thing is that we, we set an aspiration that we wanted 100% of our advertising to have an accurate and respectful portrayal of women and girls in our advertising. We joined the uh, ANA See Her movement 
SK2 has jumped into change destiny, Ariel share the load, Olay face anything. We've taken it to another level and it's now pervasively built in to how we do business. For Lauren Greenfield, the Like a Girl experience crystallized something she'd been feeling for a while, that while advertising and capitalism generally deserved plenty of criticism for distorting reality for girls, it could also be, on its better days, a force for good. It could reveal truths, not just fabrications, and in the end, reach far more people than even the most celebrated documentary work. I'm almost crying just remembering all the things that happened on that shoot. And I think that's what this moment calls for. That's what this COVID pause, that's what this Black Lives Matter, that's what this moment is revealing what has been hiding in plain sight about what's not working in the culture. And a lot of my work has been a critique of capitalism and brands profit motive driving that. And so I think now what I learned and this was before like a girl, this was actually the first Nike project I worked on about female empowerment and seeing how it could affect teenagers. I learned after a lot of personal work criticizing the negative power of advertising, I learned that advertising could have a tremendous positive impact. And that's why I started doing it. And that's why I don't see a conflict between my documentary work and the advertising work. I love the advertising work because I think it has the audience, it has the research, it has bigger budgets to do powerful things. One of the things that P&G did that was so brilliant and always is the first three weeks they had no paid media. It was a small little thing. Let's see what happens. When they saw the power that it had and how people were sharing it, they put their whole force and money behind spreading the word. And they did paid media that ended up on the Super Bowl. And so that's something that a brand can do that, you know, you can't do as a documentary filmmaker. And I think when brands and creatives can get behind doing something meaningful and making social change and showing the values that a brand is aligned with in a way that can get people on board, there's a huge possibility for both the good stuff, the social impact, but also profit and raising sales and raising awareness and raising visibility and being on the right side of history. For Judy John, the cultural force of Like a Girl was amazing to watch in ways big and small. It's an amazing feeling and it's addictive. It makes you want to go and do more things and take on more things and use the power of creativity to make positive change. And the really rewarding part was when people just sent me photos of a rock climbing gym. And at the very top, there was a sticky note that said, climb like a girl. Somebody had put up or a t-shirt that said, fight like a girl for a boxing gym or for cancer. And people just sent me ongoing for years. Still, people send me a random t-shirt they see or a sign that they see. And that's the best part. To AJ Hassan, what was truly special about Like a Girl is that it confronted a truth out in the world, an unpleasant truth, and tried to put it right, to actually change lives for the better, which, despite some progress in that area, hasn't always been advertising strong suit. I think in some ways it was really, really validating, but it was also very emotional, I would say. Like when I started to read the individual tweets of the mothers and the sisters and the teenagers and even the dads, like, 
starting to post pictures of their girls playing soccer. She plays soccer like a girl. My daughter plays baseball like a girl or my daughter dances like a girl. And it was something so powerful in seeing people instantly want to change it. Like I said, was really inspiring and validating, but it was also emotional because it was sad. It was sad that until that moment, it was okay to use the phrase that way. Historically, advertising hasn't always been a medium of truth. Maybe a fantasy, maybe of portrayal, maybe of dramatization, but not always truth. And so I think right now in the moment that we live in, more than ever, brands really looking at what is their truth? Why do they exist in the world? And understanding that it's really, really important that the people they actually want to connect with need more than to feel like a transaction. The world is in a lot of pain right now. The truth is powerful. You've been listening to Tagline, the show about great ads and the people who make them. Thanks to my guests this week, Judy John, AJ Hassan, Lauren Greenfield, Michelle Batten, Edgar Sandoval, and Mark Pritchard. Tagline is a production of Muse by Clio, the content division of the Clio Awards. This week's episode was produced by Carly Angeloni and edited by Lane McGivney and Mike McInnes. Our designer is Ashley Epping. Our theme music is by Brian Englishman. Special thanks to the creative agency Gut and the PR agency Raven for helping us promote the show. And a big thanks as well to our sponsor, GSTV. For more about Tagline and to watch the ads we talk about on every episode, visit taglinepodcast.com or musebycleo.com. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you use to listen. I'm Tim Nudd. Thanks for joining us. And we'll be back next week with another new episode of Tagline. This episode of Tagline was brought to you by GSTV. Every day, millions of Americans get in their vehicles and go. Fueling drives commutes, commerce, and connection. And that's when GSTV has the undivided attention of one in three adults every month. GSTV's National Video Network owns a unique moment for innovative storytelling when consumers are engaged, taking action today, and influenced for tomorrow. Fuel your next creative campaign with GSTV. To get started, visit gstv.com slash tagline.